I just had like this gut-wrenching feeling like, what am I supposed to be doing? What's the right answer here? Am I supposed to take this? Because it's a great opportunity. You know, should I do what I went to school for and actually take this full-time position? This is what my family wants me to do. Or on the other hand, I have modeling. That is Sophia Lee. I'm Andrew Connect, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. Let's back up to the beginning of Sophia's story. Here's the start of how she would become a model on the Grammys and appear in the Super Bowl twice. I was uh, attending a school, community community college, RCC in Riverside, and um, they had one of those booths. It was like the first week of school. You know how they have those booths set up where they try to get you to join clubs and stuff? Right. so this this booth called me over and it turned out to be a modeling school and they did all this talking roped me in my mom was fully like completely all about it and she wanted me to do it so i ended up taking like this 10-week course in modeling and by the end of the 10-week course i realized wow they just like scams me out of fifteen hundred dollars because whatever i learned in this 10-week course is so absolutely unnecessary (laughs) But what's cool about it is that it kind of opened my eyes to modeling. I had something I never thought about, never cared for, never knew about, you know. So I started just looking into it and I spent a really long time doing research on just what modeling was. I learned about the industry, um, the different divisions, um, who could do it, who couldn't do it, like where I could fit in, what I shouldn't even bother with. I did a lot of research for probably like a good year, year and a half before I actually started anything at all. And so um, just from doing research, I started reaching out to different agencies. I found out what they needed, like what kind of information um, and photos that they needed from me, spent some time making sure I had like quality stuff to give them. And I submitted to a ton of different agencies from um, LA, Orange County, and San Diego. Um, And eventually I got maybe like a dozen or so meetings and eventually ended up signing with my first agency in San Diego. So yeah, I started in a smaller market in San Diego before I decided to jump to LA. And that was probably like a year into it. And you mentioned this was at a like a college booth, was it, or high school, or what? yeah, I went to Riverside Community College That's, for two years. And so while and you're was, while you're attending college, sorry, while you're attending college, you're also pursuing this kind of in your mind just for fun as a hobby. Totally just for fun. It was just out of curiosity. It was never anything that I had like dreamed about my whole life, or I never even knew about it, never thought about it or anything. It's just like someone came up to me, so I said, "Sure, I'll give it a try." That's awesome. And then how did you go from making the leap to this is something that's fun to I think I could do this for a living? Um, Well, it continued to be fun for me because it was just a full time or it was a part time thing. And I was going to school during the time. And when jobs popped up, it was just like every once in a while, like, hey, I have a shoot coming up, you know, and they would pay really well. So it was fun getting paid and being in front of a camera. But then eventually when I graduated um, school, I went to Cal State Fullerton, finished my master's there. And I felt like doing, um, I did my master's in business and I felt like it would have been such a waste if I didn't do something with my degree. So I went and I applied at this uh, marketing job for a golf company and I worked there for about a year. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like, this is what I went to school for, but am I really liking this? Is, is it a stepping stone, you know? So I was doing that, and then I was doing modeling still part-time. And here I was, like, showing up at this office, like, dressing in clothes that I hate, working around people that I had nothing in common with. I didn't really care about the work that I was doing. I mean, I was doing a good job there, but I didn't care about it, you know? So I was missing auditions and uh, missing meetings with um, agencies and castings and stuff I would have casting directors call me directly in um, to come to meet with me and that never happens you know usually they contact an agency and then they call you but I would have them call me directly and I would have to say no because I'd have to be at work at this marketing job 
And there were so many times where I would show up late to the marketing job and, you know, like I didn't really care. I would call in sick. So here I was like half-assing both things and I wasn't making anyone happy. So <clears throat> I just kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting over a cough. So mm -hmm. um, I just kind of decided, I was like, I need to make a decision because I can't keep going in and out of both jobs, you know? Um, but I was doing really well there. And I think that my bosses there knew that I was kind of considering leaving. So they gave me a, an offer for a full-time position that for anyone else, I think would have been really hard to pass up. They knew that I did modeling part-time and that I liked being in front of the camera. So they brought me into like this huge conference room and it's just my two bosses and me. And they offered me a full-time position going on a PGA tour. On All I would have to do is um, go on the PGA tour and interview players before, before and after games, which seems really cool. Cause in their minds, it's like, Oh, she's still working here, but she gets to be in front of the camera, you know? And so I thought about it. Um, I told them I'll consider it and I'll get back to you. So I remember that day I was driving home in traffic from, um, Anaheim to Riverside. And I was just sitting in like bumper to bumper traffic in the freeway. I had no music on and, I just had like this gut-wrenching feeling like, what am I supposed to be doing? What's the right answer here? Am I supposed to take this? Because it's a great opportunity. You know, should I do what I went to school for and actually take this full-time position? This is what my family wants me to do. Or on the other hand, I have modeling, which has always been really fun. I always looked, I, you know, looked forward to it. And I was excited about every single shoot and every casting that I did. But at the same time, it was also very inconsistent. And I wasn't making enough money at that time to really support myself doing just that. So I was like, am I supposed to do what I want, what's fun, but it's inconsistent, or what my family wants, you know? And I was crying my eyes out. And it was just this moment where, you know, it's quiet and I'm just like talking to God, like, I just really need a sign. <clears throat> I remember kind of breaking down and said, just give me a sign. I don't know what to do, I need a sign. And I swear to you, like one minute, not even a minute after that, on my phone pops up a text and it's from one of my agents at the time. And she goes, congratulations, honey, you just booked CSI Las Vegas. <laughs> I seriously, you have no idea. I seriously threw my hands up in the air and I was like, thank you. Thank you. That was my big moment. I was like, I could not have asked for a better sign. You know, how much more clear could, you, could it get? Yeah, but even then, I mean, that's still like an incredible amount of like risk and like you said your family isn't necessarily at this point supportive you've gone to school for multiple years you mm -hmm. have a pretty awesome job it sounds like talking to golf people as a if career. i had taken the full-time position yes well, that's, that is all lined up and that is all secure and that is all stable and that is a paycheck coming every week doing something that makes everyone happy and yet you chose to That's say no. That's the thing, though. I, the reason why it was so, I guess, easy for me after that to walk away from the golf, jump, golf company is because I imagined if I did take this full-time position and go, you know, on the PGA Tour interviewing players, would I actually enjoy it? Or am I doing it just for the paycheck? And I don't think I would actually enjoy it. I have no interest in golf. Like, not putting it down or anything. I know a lot of people love golf, but personally for me, I had, I had no care in the world for it. I wasn't even interested in watching it and I knew nothing about it. So how, what would I interview them about? You know? I see. So it wasn't, okay. it wasn't like your current job was something that was that much of a passion of yours. It was, it was just it was something that paycheck. made, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then this modeling thing is something new in your life that you were kind of doing for fun and you're starting to realize I could do this as a job. Yeah. And you know, when you're doing something fun, there's a part of you that sparks up and you come alive and you feel like you. Hmm. And when you're doing a job that kind of makes you shut down who you are, you lose your sense of self. You know, you're not the same person. And so it felt like a good decision, even though I knew that it was really risky. Like, how, how the hell was I supposed to make this a full-time thing, you know? But, I mean, that was, I don't know how many years ago that was, like eight, eight, nine years ago. 
I think I'm doing pretty well now. I made a good decision. <laughs> you know what's funny? Like, um, my boss from that job, he actually saw me. Um, he texted me a few years later. Eventually, he saw me on the Grammys, and I had not spoken to him in years. He texted me out of the blue, hey, Sophia, this is Scott, your old boss. Mm -hmm. Just saw you on the Grammys. You look great. And I just wanted to say I think you made the right decision. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and you could, But you could never picture any of that when you're faced with this decision and all that. You're, you just know it's a passion and you're choosing a challenge over something that's comfortable. Right. And I think when you do have those moments of you know, moments of getting that text or, you know, when I got the, why do all my moments have texts? That's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> but when you do get those moments of affirmation, I think it's God's way or the universe's way, whatever you want to call it, whatever mm -hmm. you get your um, signs from, it's, it's God's way of letting you know you made the right decision. So you know, you're going the right way. And when you get more moments when you're just like, oh, this feels off, like this is weird, and something's telling you you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's still, I'm still picturing that big leap for, like, you, like you're saying, it's kind of like a, like that was a very much a defining moment in your life where if you hadn't, if you'd gone the other way, it's like that may have still been something that you can only wish about or wonder what could have been. Whereas, right, like, like right. you're saying now, you've been up on the Grammys. I think you've been Super Bowl ads. Have you been in Super Bowl ads? I've been in a few of them, yeah. Yeah. Looks... Um, my very first Super Bowl ad, it was life-changing for me. I was actually able to buy my first house from that. Right. And, yeah, I... and the highs, like the highs of that, you never would have gotten doing an interview for you. I mean, maybe some, like you're saying, maybe someone else, their dream job is to be interviewing golf people because they love golf but for you you would not have had that euphoric kind of feelings or I guess what did it actually right. what did it actually feel like to be in a Super Bowl ad or at the Grammys I mean what was that like for you um the Grammys was really cool uh the story of that audition is actually kind of funny um I called I got called into this audition and when I got there it was hundreds of girls and it wasn't even just that one day of auditioning they were holding several days I think they had three days of auditions and each day was hundreds of girls and I walk in and here I am I'm like five three five four and I see girls that are like five ten five eleven they have heels on perfect bodies like like perfect hair perfect everything and I'm like uh should I just walk away and go home <laughs> but I was like you know what no I drove all the way here that's fine. I'm going to sign in. I'm going to sit down and wait. And so I went through this audition process. It took probably like two hours, which is really long for an audition. They never took that long. But um, I left and then I get the call on my way home that same day. It, that's super fast, which never really happens either. I get the call that same day from the guy that I met with in that audition. And he's like, um, yeah, we just want to let you know you're booked for the Grammys. And I don't think it hit me at that moment like because I had never booked anything that big before right so I was like does this mean like I'm on backup or like I don't get it is there another round of casting he's like no you're booked rehearsals are this day we shoot this day I was like are you serious I was so excited and so it, it's funny because it, I seriously felt during that audition that I was like I'm not gonna get this there's no point in me staying here but you never know until you try yeah, and that kind of shows how, at least for me, how little I know about modeling, where it's, I mean, how many auditions are you doing? What's, is your, unlike a nine to five job, where it's very dependable and you know exactly what to expect in terms of, you know, like paycheck or what you can spend. What, mm -hmm. how do you, as, I mean, you have your business degree, so how do you go about even trying to turn this into a career where how do you, just help me understand the, like the business side of being a model um, well, let's start with the day-to-day. -day. You don't really have a set schedule at all. It's very inconsistent. When I first started, when it was just part-time, I would get maybe like, I don't know, two to five castings a week. And I was living in Riverside at the time, so every time I would have to drive to a casting, it was always in L.A. So I'd drive in traffic to L.A., go to a casting for 20 minutes, and drive home, which would take me like two and a half hours. So my whole day is shot for one casting. Um, but 
the more and more or the longer I was doing it, the more castings I was getting because my agents knew that I took it much more seriously. I openly communicated with them, like my schedule. I kept mm. them up to date with where I was, when I was going to be in the city, um, when I was and wasn't available. And every time I did meet with casting directors, you know, like I was always really professional, presentable and, you know, pleasant to be around. So I think they just remembered who I was. Um, and so they would call me in for more and more castings. And eventually I was going to anywhere from like one to four or five a day, every mm -hmm. single day, except for maybe Sunday, Saturday. And then if that turned into a job, is that an eight hour day? Is that five? Is that a, how long would the jobs last for? And does that all vary? Um, so my day to day at that point started, um, it was just depending on the casting schedule. You can't choose the time that you go in. The casting directors control that. So if any times conflict and you need to change times around, it's all based on other casting times. You know what I mean? You kind of just have to work your appointments around themselves. And then um, out of those, whatever shoots you book, then those are the ones you have to be sure that you're available for. And shoots can last anywhere from, you know, four hours to like, 12 to 15 hours depending on what you're shooting and so I, uh, every day is just really different yeah and so help catch me up when you walked away from that full-time job offer what did your kind of career progression at that point look like um at that point I was still part-time and I was scared <laughs> oh because God. I was like I'm not making enough money thank god I still lived at my parents house at the time but mm. um I was like, I don't have any option now. I have to make this a full-time thing. And so mm. um, I, I told my agents what I had just done. And mm. I let them know that I was full-time. This is everything that I'm doing now. So whatever um, castings and auditions and shoots that you can book me on, um, I want to go. I'm here for it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not prioritizing anything else. <clears throat> so since then, it just started picking up more and more. But the funny thing about it now is like since I've been doing it so long and I think my agents know me so well, casting directors have known me for years now, I don't really go on that many castings anymore as much as I used to. Um, there's just a lot of direct bookings now. Like they'll usually just say, hey, we have a shoot. Is she available? You know, which is really nice because it frees up a lot of my time. Castings alone, even though they're short, they can be anywhere from like five minutes to like 35, 40 in LA, it takes so long to get everywhere. Traffic. It's like an hour to get everywhere. Yeah, and that's, so. uh, but that's part of probably how you knew you wanted to do this, is that you're willing to drive two hours for a 20 minute, not even a job, a 20 minute opportunity to work a job. And, right, and, that, and these castings, some of them I would get maybe like three in a day and they're all for varying commercials and print ads. So they have very different looks that they require. One could be, um, oh, you're a young mom, like maybe 25, and you're a soccer mom. Whereas the next one is um, you're a professional banker. And then the next one is you're, um, you had just finished a workout and it's for Nike and you're sweating and you have no makeup on. You know, so in between these castings, I would have to change in my car, redo my makeup, you know, change my complete look. And all the while you're like trying to navigate through traffic and at some point try to like eat and get some food and water in your system while you're like going, going, going. Yes. And same time also you're getting emails from agents like, hey, another one just popped up. Can you please try to make this? Because it looks really bad if you ever cancel on an audition or a casting so you want to try to make them all but and it's, unlike, it's just really hard on the schedule and unlike a nine to five where your stability and security comes from just the very fact that you're working for an employer you have a contract in your line of work your security like he says it kind of comes by your reputation that she's dependable she's she works well is that kind of how you feel secure in your job or how do you go about yeah yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it because, you know, like you can't really control what it is that they're looking for. All you can control is what you what you bring to the table, you know, and as long as you take your work 
seriously and act like a professional. You show up and you show up on time or early. You do what you're supposed to do. You, um, for me, I always try to have people enjoy being in my presence, you know? So like, I'll just talk to them get to know people. Everyone likes you ask questions, you know, and get to know them. And so I always try to make it, make it a point to get to know people on set or even in like castings and stuff, which is cool now because a lot of them are my friends. So it's much easier. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's just um, being a good person and making sure that you're someone that they want to work with. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out your mindset where it seems like the, the first stage of your life is, and even your approach to modeling was very analytical. You were gathering facts, you were getting information from which to make a decision. And now it's like, it seems like the very nature of the job, it doesn't necessarily fit that type of mentality where it's, it's about interpersonal skills. Like you're saying, it's about the impression you leave upon people. So is, mm -hmm. is that, which one's more natural to you, the logic and the, you know, figuring everything out, or do you kind of enjoy the fact that your job requires a lot of interpersonal skills? Um, I think it's both fitting for me. I've mm -hmm. always been super analytical. So I think that part comes naturally to me. Like I research and research and read and learn everything I can about everything. Like that's just always been how I am since I was little. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I see what you're saying. There's like a disconnect because modeling really is about being in front of the camera. And I like that part of it, but I liked it just for the, the joy of actually being in front of a camera. I think a lot of girls enter into modeling with um, a different type of goal in mind. Mm -hmm. You know, their goal, and I don't want to put this on anyone, but I think um, a lot of girls go into it thinking that they want to be sexy, they want to be known. Nowadays, like people want to get followers, they want to be famous. I don't know. I never um, saw that as a goal. That was just like a byproduct of something that I do for my work, but it was never a goal. Yeah, and that misconception, which I'm going to be honest, I fit in that stereotype of I'm not in your world, so all I have is, you know, this outside perspective of you hear model in LA, you're thinking all she ever does is travel places and it's all about her. And, you know, as you're describing what your experience is like of driving two hours to try to get a job, handling all this, you know, wardrobe changes, communication, at the same time trying to, you know, appear a certain way so the images come out the way the clients want, like that, mm -hmm. that doesn't mesh with my view. So why do you think there is such a, like, misconception around what people when they hear the word model what they you know what comes to their minds um well i think it's just like any other job people see what you show them you know there's like the outside perspective and then there's what really happens behind the scenes mm. and the outside perspective of modeling is really flashy because you know companies um when they're marketing something new they want they want to shoot in the best locations they want um something that's going to be eye-catching bright and beautiful they want beautiful people on camera in their ads they want you know just great energy and all of that really is flashy and it's what's weird about it to me is like if let's say someone had like a nine to five job and people thought if it was a mainstream belief that like maybe it's really glamorous to sit in an office like this beautifully decorated office um you know in a corner of a beautiful building where you can see you know the beautiful skyline and you had your food delivered to you every day if that was captured on camera then everyone would think that that's pretty glamorous too my job just happens to be captured on camera does that make sense <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's also like it seems like within it's not like there's modeling, and if you're a model where you're this stereotypical model, it's there there may be a whole spectrum of like you're saying different types of work, different types of jobs, mm -hmm. different types of personalities may draw to the to the larger than life. I'm in the news every day because I want to be, but you're saying mm -hmm. as a model you kind of find your niche or your spot, and it doesn't have to be what most people think of. Yeah. For me, the thrill of it really came from um, 
hearing that I booked a job. I really wanted to, like, that's like winning the lottery. And I, you know what I mean? Because you go to so many castings. And of course, the objective is to book each one. But there's no way you're going to book every single one. Especially in the when you're new in the beginning, mm-hmm. you kind of are a bit more insecure, not as experienced. And so I would walk into the room thinking like, okay, what is it that they want to see? What kind of person do they want? Um, like, what are they hoping for? What kind of personality do they want to see? What kind of looks are they like? What clothes do they like? You know, and I think that really took away from my personality. And so I didn't book that much when I was younger. Mm. But as I got older and started to develop more of my personality, I got to understand like when I when I would walk into a casting, there's several different people in a room, especially in a callback. There's a lot more people in the room. And understanding who each person in the room really makes a big difference in booking because some are the marketing clients. Um, some could just be the guy operating the camera. Another one could be um, the advertising agency. Another one could be the producer or the director or the casting director. And sometimes they all know each other. Sometimes they're just meeting like right before you walk into the room. Um, so Understanding the relationship and what's important to each person kind of gives me a better idea of um, who, what role I play in the whole process. So the advertising agent is going to want to make sure that their, um, their product is getting uh, shown the way that it's supposed to be. And then the, there's the, who is it? The casting director. He needs to understand the advertising creative person's vision so that he can find the right person to fit that role. And then there's the camera guy. And then there's, um, you know, just a whole bunch of different people. And with all of these things that they have going on that they need to make sure they need to get the location, they need to um, book the right amount of people. Maybe they need to book pets. Maybe they need to take care of all the, the paperwork and the contracts and all this stuff. They have a bunch of things going on. So all they really need is someone to walk into the room and please do their job right. Love that breakdown. Like I love the thought. And like you said, you've absorbed all this, but it kind of leads me back to like you're saying at that initial phase, how in the world did you get past like if I look at myself in a picture for 15 seconds, I start to become critical. You know, I start to, it, my thoughts tend to become about myself and here. Mm-hmm. Which is normal. Normal. I'm not sure. You know, that's yeah. what, what is a healthy way to view it? It's a good question. But for you somehow, not only that, you then have someone else judging you and you get immediate feedback of you're hired or we don't want you where it just would like feed that cycle. So how in the I mean, one, how did you even escape that trap of falling into constantly thinking about yourself? And then what what is kind of your answer to a healthy way to, you know, view yourself, I guess, how you look or how you present yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think um, doing that, like looking at a photo and just tearing yourself apart, everyone kind of does that a little bit. You can't help but do it. Like, like you look at a picture of a group and the only person you see is your, yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like your mm-hmm. eye just catches that part of the photo. But um, I think that that happened when I was younger, when I was much more unsure of myself and I guess insecure and trying to please other people. Mm-hmm. But um, the older you get and the more like I got to understand the industry, I realized that every time I walked into a casting, it wasn't that they were criticizing or saying, oh, she, like, you know, her legs are too short or her hips are too wide or her hair is too short or too long or she's too dark or light. Like, they're not thinking that at all. Like, if they call me in for a casting, it's usually by category. They already reach out to the agency and say, okay, we need, um, they, we need, like, an Asian American woman or a Vietnamese woman or a mixed ethnicity looking person they need to have um, they need to fall into this age group of like 22 to 28 um they'll usually put something in the breakdown like aspirational professional um pleasant woman like going out to run errands and that's the look that they want so when you walk in when you go into a casting and you walk into the lobby, everyone in that room is already in that category. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to try to be that person. You already are that person or otherwise you wouldn't have been called in, you know? So they're not okay. looking for flaws. Like when they bring in each of these people into the room, they're looking in their minds, they're seeing their commercial already, you know? And so when they go through each of these people in their mm-hmm. minds, is it clicking? Is she that person in our commercial or does it seem off? So it's not so much about the look. It's, kind of everything that you bring into the room do you play into the brand's personality do you fit into the look of the brand or um, are you relatable to their target audience you know what I mean yeah and that is all self-awareness that all has come about because you were able to get outside of yourself and not take it personally and to view what they truly were telling you rather than what might be natural to take it as, which is I'm falling short, like you're saying, they're being critical. So mm-hmm. I, I still I still think what you're saying makes 100% se- sense, but I still don't know how you got outside of that trap of, you know, the stereotypical thing, like you're saying about the model, is they're in it for them and they're in oh, it like for- Oh, kind of not how to be obsessed with your look? Yes, it's, it's validation. Every booking validates my looks give me worth. That would be the stereo, the stereotypical way of looking at it, the unhealthy way of looking at it. And like you're saying, you've- you're like, that's not actually what's happening, but for a lot of people, it would seem if like a, a model, that's how they might be tempted to perceive it, as you said, when they're younger, and maybe they kind of get weeded out where they take it so personally, sure, and yeah. then they just don't survive because every casting call is a either a positive affirmation, they're worth something, or you know their worst fears are coming true. So I still, how did you still, when you're looking at pictures, I mean, how do you, there's got to be a spectrum from I'm even unaware of how I present myself, I'm unaware of how I dress, all the way to the opposite end, which is all I can do is think about me. How do you kind of navigate that whole? Sure, sure, sure. I see what you're asking. Um, I think that really goes into like my whole spirituality and just I think the way that you take care of yourself and what you value. Um I, I don't know. I don't get my value from my looks. I get it from, I guess, the, the things that I have prioritized in my life. And so I, I spend a lot of time making sure that I invest in certain areas of my life. So I'll always take time to take care of my health and fitness. I'll always make time for my family. I'll always take time to make sure that my work, um, the effort that I put into my work is there. And I'll always make time to cultivate and build my friendships. And those are like some things that are really important to me. Um, I also meditate and I, um, that's like a whole part of my life also. So I think as long as you take the time and make sure that you're taking care of all those areas of your life, you get value from those. Yeah, and you're still still blowing my mind. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely do. But it's like, how much, how much, how... This is not because you're going to look the way you look. I mean, (laughs) unless you go under like crazy cosmetic surgery or something. But I think for the most part, if people put the time into making sure that they eat healthy and you you're good to yourself and, you know, you could really want to eat like that burger with bacon and Mm -hmm. fries and ketchup. But if you have you set it as a priority, you set yourself as a priority and you tell yourself, I'm going to be good to myself because if I eat this, I'm going to regret it in like two hours. So I'm not going to eat that. And that's like every time you make a decision in favor of yourself, it gives you that much more confidence. You know what I mean? It's like an extra ounce of confidence because, you know, you did something for yourself. And every time I work out, I get that little extra ounce every time I set aside like four or five hours to spend with my family on a Sunday. That's Mm -hmm. important to me. So my confidence comes from knowing that I'm building a stronger relationship with my family. Every time I make dinner plans with friends, friends that I actually care about and, you know, like want to stay up to date with their lives. Like I get confidence in knowing that I have good friends. So it's, it, I mean, I, I don't think that looks play that huge of a role into it. And I think like knowing that you have all of this as your foundation is so much more valuable. I completely, yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm just still being blown away, like from an outside perspective, that what you're saying makes sense to me, but it's not the answer I would expect to receive from, you know, here's a hundred models, talk to 
99 of them, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't have a feel for how unique your answer is within that industry because, you know, the whole cosmetics mm. and beauty industry, it is all built around, you know, makeup, the whole, all of that is about changing at least some aspects of how you look, at least from my perspective, I could be even wrong on that. But I it, mean, don't get me wrong, like, if, if I'm going to need, like, a facelift someday, I'm not <laughs> against it. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably still do it, but I'm not going to do that anytime soon. <laughs> Right. No, I hear you. Yeah. But that, that, so in your mind, I mean, do you think that is the message the like the, the beauty industry puts out or is that just kind of, it's kind of each person kind of hears what they want to hear when they're on Instagram looking at all these pictures and they immediately in their mind compare it to themselves. That's, that, ne that not necessarily is not, that's not your intent, obviously, but that's something each individual person has to learn to navigate for themselves of asking how do I feel good about myself? And here's a model saying the way I feel good about myself is not because I'm a model and I've made it and I was on the Grammys. It's because I have values and I follow through on what I believe. I think that all plays a role into it. You know, you make a good point. Like a lot of beauty uh, companies out there, they do push the whole, you know, like you need to look a certain way and, you need to do certain things to make yourself stand out. But I'm really happy that it's actually shifting a lot now. And there's a lot more body positivity out there and more about self-love. There's more of a focus on that. There's more of a focus on things that are actually good for you, you know? Um, like, I see ads all around L.A., like, pushing moms and dads to be better parents like spend time with your kids pushing them to like embrace their curves and you know eat healthy and i think that's like a shift in the right direction that's why i think influencers are becoming such a big thing now it's not always about looks anymore it's about the whole package what kind of person are you and are you someone that i can relate to and are you someone that I could aspire to be? Because I think that's so much more powerful than just seeing someone pretty. Like, that's a little empty. Absolutely. Especially, especially with the ability of computer software to change reality into what someone wants it to be. And then, you know, you see the finished product where everything is even different than what's even attainable per se. And mm -hmm. I do... I do think that kind of speaks to, you know, we talked earlier about like millennials where when they go into the workforce, what they, their expectations for a job is not just it's a job that provides money. It's something that, you know, finds fulfillment for them. It gives them meaning. Yeah, and that's totally. why there's such a high turnover in jobs is they're looking for all the answers to life in their career. And kind of like what you're saying, even in your career, you're saying my job as a model does not fulfill me totally. It's these outside things that I also prioritize as part of a balanced life that that's where I truly find, you know, meaning. Yeah. And I, I do, I mean, what do you think about the whole authenticity thing, which I mean, on social media, I think you're absolutely right. It seems like there is no longer a place in the real world for people to get together and have community, like to spend time with friends. It seems like that is almost going away and what's replacing yeah, it. Yeah. Isn't that sad? It is. But why does it feel sad when what's different about if digitally, well, we all agree this is the same place we're going to hang out online. What makes it sad? I agree it's sad, but why is it sad to you that it's being done online rather than in the real world? I think because online, like people, you're obviously, um, you find people who have common ground with you. That's why there's different forums and groups and things like that. And you connect with people way more easily than you could in person because they're just a click away. You know, so you find your clicks online, but at the same time, I think people still have like expectations that they feel like they have to live up to. And if you're online, no one knows what your real mm. life is like compared to your online life. So they can act like they have it all together and that they're all about this life when really their real life is not like that at all. You know, and I think with human, real human interaction, like we, when you go and meet up with people and talk to them, um, you see that you have a lot in common and it doesn't have to be 
everything positive. A lot of people go through the same struggles and you would never know that unless you openly talked about it. And I think you just have more of a connection when you meet in person, looking at someone eye to eye, face to face, you can read their emotions and their body language. Like you get so much more out of a conversation Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah, and I guess like you're saying, they're just a click away. Also is true, like the friendship can just end over a click where it's, Mm -hmm. and I've heard people say that, like when they're in the hospital, none of my online, you know, my Facebook friends, none of them showed up where it's like, it seems like the very nature, it is, and it seems like the very nature of technology tends to lead itself towards this only positive, only feel good, only like pleasant moments and when stuff gets tough it's like well that's not what we want to present to the world or put out there we don't really know Mm -hmm. how to handle this so I I think that does make sense of yeah there's something missing but it does seem it seems even harder in today's world for people especially people of different beliefs or different backgrounds with you know you're talking about modeling just all the misconceptions I have about what that job could look like or what it could mean and like you know actually talking to you it's like okay this is way different for you than it might be what I thought it would have been yeah and I I can't speak for anyone else because I only have my own experience to draw from you know yeah well I think I think I mean I'm seeing what you're saying where it's like there may be this divide of if people do approach modeling from this insecure kind of self-obsessed standpoint like they're not Mm going to be happy very long and you know maybe their looks can carry them so far but eventually it kind of like that might kind of weed itself out where they have to learn at some level how to, you know, be happy and provide, you know, the clients with what they need in order to survive for a long time. And you probably get to yeah. choose your friends of, you know, here's the modeling people. Here's who I work with. You kind of get to create your own world in that sphere. I right. Guess. <clears throat> and I think you really have to be balanced with how much you take in on- online because I mean, just, the algorithms alone on Facebook and Instagram are enough to just shut you in a bubble. You know, it really Mm -hmm. is a bubble, whatever you think, whatever you like, whatever you, whoever you interact with. I mean, of course they're tracking all of that. So they're only going to show you more and more of what you already see and what you don't believe in, what you don't like and don't talk about, you're just not going to see it. So you, it kind of makes people self-absorbed because you think, Oh, everyone in my world likes the same thing I do. And everyone doesn't like the same things that I don't like. You know, so yeah, that whole echo. it's not, yeah, it's not a chamber. real reality. So I feel like my online presence could be a lot greater, hmm. uh, could be a lot bigger and have more of an impact. But at the same time, I, I choose not to have it that way just because I don't want to take away from my reality, my real, real life. You know what I mean? Like, it's a great way to stay in touch with people, see what's going on with people. I never look at anyone's stories on Instagram. Um, I hardly ever scroll on Facebook. Like, I'll post things and just leave it there. Um, and my friends are always like, oh, did you see my story? I'm like, why Why don't you ever watch my story? So I'll go on and watch it when they tell me to. But I actually try not to because a lot of times it. I don't like how I feel when I watch it. You know, like I'm seeing great things like everyone's posting their fun mm, moments and they're mm-hmm. they're traveling they're eating great food they're out doing this or that and this girl's doing this shoot and she just bought this and this person just went here you know and it kind of leaves you feeling well i'm i'm just sitting here scrolling i'm not doing all that mm. you know you kind of get bitter and jealous and i noticed that i started feeling that way so i was like i need to stop this <laughs> so i i never scroll really or look at stories just because i don't want to feel that way so I don't know. I put more of a focus on like texting people or meeting up with people. Yeah, and, and then I, I can go and post my own highlights. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the curated lifestyle for others to consume. <laughs> well, yeah, think, but well, I think ironically I think that's, that's what, just a personal choice. Yeah, but I think that's what people are looking for through that constant scrolling is they they're looking for how do I actually navigate life? How do I how do I actually make sense of real life and they're looking for that answer online which isn't bad but when they find it it's like it's on them to act upon it where it's like now you have the information now you can make a choice it's before you are you going to keep scrolling or are you going to actually get out of your comfort zone and let someone challenge how you think i mean thoughts and ideas are kind of pointless if you never execute Mm -hmm. what's the point they're just sitting and floating around like it's not doesn't mean anything until you actually do something and i think that's where a lot of people get stuck is that they don't execute on all the things that they want to do or that they talk about or that they hope and dream for. It's like, just 
need to take a small step and do something because that's how things happen. Yeah, that small step is easier said than done, especially if it's uh, turning down a full-time job. That is a ginormous step. So I, that is, I am impressed with that. <laughs> Thanks. I think I've just like always been the type of person that has followed my gut, you know, mm-hmm. even when, I mean, that's not always a good thing. <laughs> There's times when I had like a part-time job working at Mervyn's. Do you remember Mervyn's? Nah, I don't even like, know what that is, no. Oh my God, you're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Mervyn's is like the old version of Kohl's. So I used to work there and it's like, it's just like a retail store. They sell like clothes and stuff, right? So I used to work there and I think I lasted there like four weeks until I was sick of it. Cause I was like, they would make me work maybe four to eight hours a day, which is not a lot. <laughs> but in my mind, I was like, why do you get four hours of my day? I don't even like the amount that shows up on my paycheck. I'm not even happy with that. And I don't like showing up here. Like, why do you get to dictate where I go? Mm-hmm. You know, like it just made me mad. I'm not the type of person that likes being told what to do. And for someone else to make up my schedule and do that for me, I just didn't like it. I was like, if I don't feel like going in, then I'm calling off. <laughs> right. But that, I mean, I see what you're saying, but then there's that ta- that balance, right? Where part of what you're looking for is the real world. I want to be challenged by thoughts outside of my perspective. But then if we're being honest at the same time, everyone loves comfort where we want our routine. We want our beliefs that are etched in stone to be right and not be challenged. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I see that. It's very tricky to navigate. When do I need to stick with what I believe versus when do I actually, you know, let my beliefs be challenged? Yeah. So That's how, tricky. Well, how do, you, do you think there's any beliefs that aren't open to challenge? For me personally? Yeah. That aren't open to challenge. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What would that be for you? I think, every, I mean, my, my opinion is the truth can stand challenge. So I personally believe everything's open for challenge, but once you have had your beliefs challenged long enough you've heard most of the arguments so it's not that you're closed off to it but it's you're kind of aware yeah i'm aware of that i've heard that before i've thought through that it doesn't catch me off guard i'm aware so i i think you have to eventually stand for something you got to choose what you believe you gotta you know you got to start somewhere in order to get someplace so you've got to say okay do i believe god is real or not do i believe my senses are actually real or is this all just artificial You've got to start, you know, from a first principle somewhere and then build upon mm-hmm. it. And so I think it's hugely crucial you get that first principle right because that's what you're building everything else off of. So if that right. foundation fails, well, then everything's doomed. So it's kind of like it's not that you're not open to having it challenged. It's more like, well, it's already been refined. It's already been tested. I really doubt there's something you could throw at me to make. So I think it's a very healthy attitude to say anything can be challenged. That's part of how I grow and become a better person. That's part of how I get outside of, you know, my echo chamber of what I think is is real is having, like you're saying, an identity that's not based off of looks or based off of actions, but it's very solid. And that allows you to hear a completely different view, which, you know, look at the political discussion, how easy it is for us to get into opposite ends of the spectrum and just present the other people as you know the awful worst person and it's like yeah at the end of the day like aren't we? but you know that's all a matter of perspective too because you could have two extremely different viewpoints and this happens a lot in politics where one person thinks one way is absolutely right and the other way is absolutely wrong where the other person thinks vice versa and you can Say one is right or wrong, but to me, it's all a matter of your your life experiences, where you come from, the family you were raised in, um, the communities that you were raised in, the thoughts that were, the beliefs that were instilled in you, like whether, you know, um, you grew up in a really affluent neighborhood or you grew up, you know, on the projects. And did you grow up around crime or did you grow up around mm-hmm. millionaires? Did you see people succeed your whole life or did you see people fail your whole life? You know, like all of these things play into what you believe. So there's not really a sense of um, who's right or wrong when it comes to personal opinions. But mm-hmm. it does give you when you hear someone's opinion, it gives you a really good understanding if you're willing to look into it an understanding of where they came from and how they were raised. So to me, like it's hard for me to tell someone that their opinion is wrong 
it just gives me an idea of who they are. Yes. Does but that, that make sense? Yes, but how common do you think your perspective is? Because what you're saying completely makes sense, but yet if you look at most of the discourse, at least as the media presents it in forms of interviews or in forms of, like, here's how, you know, one senator is going to talk to another, it very much feels like <clears throat> the worst of communication, not at all what you're describing. Yeah, well, I think... Man, so what do you attribute, why do you attribute you're different? Or why do you, how do you think someone goes about not falling into that trap of us versus them mentality? I, I think it honestly has to do with my meditation. I think, mm. I know a lot of people don't do that. And it's becoming a lot more common. But um, a lot of people still look at it as kind of this like, woo woo, weird thing. And for me, it's just clearing my mind so that I can think clearly and so that I'm aware of um, my thought processes and whether they're good for me or bad for me. Like if I have negative thoughts, are these going to control my day? Or if something's setting me off in the wrong way in the morning, that's going to set the tone for my day. So how do I change that? You know, like to me, I mentioned it earlier that I, I've always been one to like follow my gut and look for signs and things like that. And, and I feel like I'm able to see the signs pretty clearly when they do come up in my life. And I feel like I'm able to do that because I meditate all day, or not all day long, but I meditate twice a day. And to me, what meditation is, is, okay, like imagine your brain from the moment you wake up in the morning to till you go to sleep at night, it's constantly your own thoughts. You're constantly thinking, what do I have to do today? Did I prepare my meals for today? What time do I have to be at this appointment? How long is traffic going to take? Oh, did I text this person back? Did I send out this email? What am I going to wear today? When do I have time to sleep? You know, you're thinking things all day long. And if your mind is constantly running, what space do you have in your mind for, you know, um, your intuition to kick in or for you to get an inspired thought from either the universe or from God speaking to you, you know, you can't have room for that. So when you meditate, it's, it's just practicing your focus. It's practicing focusing on one thing so that your mind doesn't go through these millions of other thoughts. And when you focus on the one thing, all of a sudden um, you start becoming more quiet and when you do start hearing these thoughts, you're going to start feeling like they're your own thoughts. But it could be, you know, um, an inspired, creative new idea that you just thought of. Or it could be, oh, yeah, I should text this person today. I haven't talked to them in a while. And it could feel like your own thoughts. But for the most part, I think it's a sign, um, either from God or the universe, you, you have these thoughts for a reason. So if in your meditation, you thought of some person you said you needed to text them because you haven't texted them in a long time. Maybe there's a reason that you're supposed to connect with this person. So that's what I mean by taking signs from the universe. And that's why I meditate because it makes me so aware of my thoughts. And so that I can think much more clearly. So when I'm going through my day, like I said, my days are freaking hectic. You know, like there's tons of people communicating with me about a bunch of different things. And if I'm not able to think clearly, I could easily just let it run my day. Well, I know your business, right. so I'm gonna let you go, but I really appreciate it. That was very fascinating to me to kind of get a, you know, your view on your world. It's definitely not what I would have thought, just, you know, approaching this from a, what are my thoughts about modeling? So it was very, very helpful and I um, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. I really appreciate you. That was a great interview. I liked it. like Sophia's, subscribe to Unpretentious Podcast, that's one word, Unpretentious Podcast, on SoundCloud and Instagram.